HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of The Grape Nation is brought to you by Vivino. Discover and buy wines wherever you are. Visit vivino.com backslash heritage to stock up. Hey, this is Kat, Communications Director of HRN, here with a preview of Episode 2 of Meat and 3. This week, we're talking pork. We'll learn the best way to make a BLT. I don't think I've ever successfully made a BLT just because I eat the bacon before any other part. How pitmasters and restaurateurs are helping put small-scale pig farmers back to work in Alabama. It's all about money. That's the bottom line. What pork has to do with economics? Farmers could be particularly affected by China's threat to levy its own tariffs on pork and soybeans. And with government. Basically all of politics is pork at this point. So tune in on Friday afternoon for your weekly serving of Meat and 3. And make sure you subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes air. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Sam Anderson, beverage director at Mission Chinese Food in New York. We'll talk to Sam about natural wines, what pairs with spicy Asian, running marathons, and a lot more. My man Sam did me a solid. He left L.A. last night and got on a 6 a.m. flight to be on the show. He tried to dodge me, but he did the right thing. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. California-born and current Brooklyn resident. Still in Brooklyn? Yes, sir. Brooklyn resident Sam Anderson innovated at some of the new at some of New York's coolest bars, including Freeman's, Hotel Del Mano, Gold Bar, and Salvation Taco before landing at Danny Bowine's Mission Chinese Food on the Lower East Side of New York. Sam is the beverage director at Mission and oversees wine, beer, spirits. And tea. And tea. And tea. Don't forget the tea. Sam also happens to be a very serious marathoner, and towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about that a little. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Um, again, I, I, I thank you for getting up early and getting on the plane and coming on the show. You and I booked this almost months ago. So like, I, like I said, it kept me out of trouble last night, right. having to catch a, a get up at 3.45 in the morning, either... Kept me out of trouble or could have put me even in more right. trouble than... Right. So you're here and you're out of trouble. All right. I want to give our audience, our listeners, um, a little context and a little background on who you are. Um, I think you have a pretty crazy past. I think we'll have fun <laughs> kind of taking you to current. Um, so give us a quick background um, about your journey in life and in wine, and in spirits that got you to where you are currently, which is at Mission. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned I was born in California, which is true. I uh, was born to parents who were... Uh, this part's crazy. You got to tell me this part. They, they, well, they were post-hippies, post and there was um, quite a cult movement in Southern California that was sort of... Uh, it started at the community colleges and the state colleges and, and really... Um, was like a spiritual draw for a lot of folks coming out of the the hippie movement, and uh, my my parents were definitely um, in that. And um, you know, one thing leads to another, and you think you're in a spiritual movement, and the next thing you know, you're you know, it's a full blown cult with five thousand people in it, and um, you're raising kids in it. And I happen to be one of those kids. Um, you know, there was nothing um, malicious in this cult. It just was very cut off from society and had a very doomsday sort of perspective on life. And, um, you know, around age 16 or so, I started reading and um, really started discovering that perhaps this perspective was not how I saw the world. <laughs> Probably. And, yeah. Um, and so I, I stepped away from that group, um, though I hadn't really ever chosen to be part of it, and started my own path. And um, that path led ultimately through college. I worked all kinds of crazy jobs, working in like a newspaper packaging plant and roofing houses and painting houses. And um, I ended up putting myself through college uh, through the cafe world, making coffee. And I was studying poetry composition and that's what I got my degree in and then I moved to New York and sort of just perfect background yeah <laughs> perfect um and so when I moved to New York my background was in coffee and I worked at Cafe Grumpy for a bit um b before I realized that a 5 a.m wake up call did not support my party life so I would end up you know not sleeping and then going to work and just being literally Mr. Grumpy at Cafe Grumpy. And so I transitioned to more of a, a, a work life that would support my nightlife. Uh, and that was working first and foremost at uh, Freeman's um, cool as a place. bar back. Yeah. Right. And, you know, 10 years ago, Freeman's was the absolute epicenter of the uh, craft cocktail rev revolution. And I met Gene Adamson there. I met uh, Lynette Marrero there. I met Yana Wolfson there. I met uh, Jim Kearns and Greg Ramirez. Those are all my... Those you know, are there the some guys of the, that some were of doing the, it, right? Absolutely. Some of the best uh, bartenders in, in the city. They were less it. then than now. So uh, those guys... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the... They were like... They, they you know, like deified almost. Right. Um, and I was a barback for them. And I learned my trade from from those people. And I owe them uh, so much of, of my success. Uh, you know, just like for, for that really like really outsized uh, mentorship that I got from day one. Um, so then I started kind of branching off onto my own and um, I helped uh, not, I didn't open Hotel Del Monte. I was there, the, I think the first like six or eight months or so after it opened. And, um, you know, that cocktail bar was very much so a pioneer in uh, Brooklyn craft cocktail bartending. Um and just really creating as well, not just making beautiful drinks, but really um, creating energy in a room. And, you know, when you walk into Hotel, Hotel Del Mano, even to this day, there's Still just there. this, like, luxurious, like, poetic, like, energy to it. And, I mean, even at that time, that didn't really exist th that way. Um, this, like, very sort of... Um, how do I put it? There's just a, uh, this very sort of, uh, there was just this luxury kind of feel to it um, in that neighborhood. And um, I was the head bartender there for three years or so. And, um, you know, a lot of the cocktails that I came up with back then are still on the menu, which is really fun. Um, and so from there, I started doing consulting on um, other cocktail bars. And, and really, uh, you know, I worked for um, I did a number of my own projects, worked for some other famous chefs, um, including April Bloomfield, and um, uh, ended up picking up the phone, and uh, it was Danny Bowen um, and Mission Chinese who were calling me at, at some point. Did you point. not say Ken Friedman on purpose? I did not, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Danny picks up the phone. Yeah, yeah. And um, so this was about four years ago, and um, he and I uh, 
I, I, I knew that I was ready for change at that point. To Did you have any idea how he got to you? Uh, it was actually at that time through uh, uh, his executive chef, uh, Angela Demiuga, who was um, working for the company at that time. She found out about me through Gene Adamson, and um, and then you know, kind of. I knew I, I had dined at Mission Chinese on the Lower East Side um, on Orchard, uh, the first Orchard location. Street, the first, the yeah, Orchard, and, yeah, and I was, you know, I, it was it was a hazy <laughs> glory, yeah, um, and I knew that there was going to be quite a lot of energy and opportunity for me at this opening, um, and uh, I, I came on board full time at that at that, that point. Um, strictly, what year was a, that? That was four uh, years ago. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah, so. Um, I started as just the cocktail director, um, and that role quickly developed into like assistant general manager, and then I was general manager and beverage director for a year. Was anyone doing wine or anything, or was it just small enough? Well, we had some help at the beginning from um, the esteemed and uh, wildly talented Bill Fitch. Um, right. And he kind of started us out with a list. And then, you know, we, um, after a couple of months, had to sort of maintain it from in-house. And that's sort of when I saw an opportunity to diversify myself, even though I had no real oversight. And yet, I am very comfortable as an autodidact. That's really where I, th I feel like I thrive. I don't think I would do well at WSET. Tell people what an autodidact is. Autodidact is one who teaches themselves. Self-taught. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm very much a self-taught runner. I'm a self-taught. So you, you taught yourself wine. So let well, me I, I, would, I would say that I have, I didn't go to WSET. No, or you didn't go the go, formal route. Yeah, I didn't go you, the formal route. Yeah. You kind of sponged it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From my reps, I happen to have a couple of folks in my life who are very, uh, Carla Rizuski, Alex Allen, Tess Drumheller. Um, uh, these are people who are very good friends of mine who were very good about putting me on the right path. So, um, so I want to get to the wine thing, but before that, yeah. you know, you were kind of a booze guy who crafted innovative cocktails. You know, like you said, you worked mm -hmm. with some great mentors mm -hmm. and then, you know, you went on and started doing your own thing. Um, this whole cocktail spirits mixology thing is huge. You know, I mean, has it changed much since you jumped into it? Has it gotten better? Has it calmed down? Has it gotten crazier? I think all of it, the above. Um, and it's in more places. Yeah. You, I mean, I think you've definitely seen the standard across the industry. Industry has definitely been raised um, where like the expectations are just that everyone has a cocktail program, which is great. Um, I think that there, to me, there is a certain, you know, the co cocktails, cocktail programs are, are very important to the restaurant experience and to the bottom line as well. Uh, for me, after eight or nine years, of just really steadily doing that, I found that it wasn't quite speaking to me the same way that it did years ago. And that could have just been out of uh, just th there being like, uh, you know, just the familiarity. But it also, I think once I started to really understand how alive wine is and how alive the wine that I love is in the bottle, even it really started to cast cocktail world in a very different light for me in that it just felt a bit inert right. um, in that you know spirits are distilled and there's right. kind of like this end to that life cycle and I just it, it, it just I still really appreciate a great cocktail right. I really appreciate and, and I think it's that that focus on the recipe and I sort of start, started to feel as though there was almost like this tyranny of the recipe after a while where people, <laughs> I would just do something like free form that I really enjoyed and then I would immediately have to like turn it into a recipe. And there's this sort of, I don't know, there's this like kind of linear quality to it that I just, after a while, was very, uh, I just won't, wore tired of it. Um, but, uh, you know, the cocktail world is very intense. It's great. Um, yeah. People are doing really amazing things, and we, we actually do a couple of cocktail shows. Yeah, yeah, that's serious. Yeah. Um, so, 
you alluded to it, but get get deeper into it for me. Um, so that's when you became more interested in wine. You know, when you, I wouldn't say came to the end of the cocktail thing, but had a different revelation and wanted to move on. And you said a word, and I think you're an evangelist, and it's important to you, natural wines. I think, you yeah. know, that, that part, not just wine, but... yeah. Um, so when so when was that when the wine thing kind of was clear to you? Yeah, uh, you know I've gone back and thought about this a lot because I think it's important to sort of see these signposts in one's own life and see then how it translates into your behavior, your career, um, and it really had a lot to do with the change in my personal life, wherein I, you know. F- I'm going to be five years now in July. I will have not have smoked a cigarette in five years. And um, I started running marathons very, very uh, passionately, or some people would say aggressively, or uh, very, in a very, it's a very big part of my life. And yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, uh, so there was this definite switch to what, you know, if I'm going to drink, like what are the things that make me like, so that feel whole good? vibe yeah. kind of pointed you that yeah. way. Yeah. And, and um, I think that, uh, a big switch for me was I, I, as I have spent so much time outdoors training, I have really realized my own exposure to the, the world, the natural world. Uh, you know, if you're out running for two hours, you know, you, you are out subject to the earth in, in whatever happens during that two hours of time. And I, I really started to feel uh, more connected with, the 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 natural world as a result and wine could not be more if you're in the confines of a restaurant on a nightly basis wine is the thing that is a direct correspondence to the natural world and therefore um you know i i have always been drawn to wines that have been as reflective of that life right uh and and i think that does correspond with a certain sort of methodology in the farm and i think it corresponds with a certain methodology in the cellar as well so you know this is all very uh i think it's very free associative and it's very personal but yes it does translate to a certain style of wine that i appreciate right Right, so let's talk about that so right here in brooklyn and i would go outside of brooklyn to the lower east side Yes. Where Mission is. I would pretty much say these are areas that are ground zero <laughs> for natural wines. Yes. I mean, you would agree with me, right? Absolutely. So let's talk about natural wines. How do you, Sam Anderson, how do you define natural wines? You, you kind of alluded to the field and in the cellar, but just, you know, a natural wine to you is? Well, I am, I don't feel qualified to well, I'm not weigh saying, in on a definition. I'm asking you your yeah, yeah, feelings. Yeah, my, my, you my know. feeling about it. Um, so I visited, uh, the very first vineyard I visited uh, was uh, Jeff Cotelou in, in uh, uh, Puymison in Languedoc. Uh, and it was a very striking experience because, um, you know, you have a lot of conventional growing taking place there. And then you have his vineyards, which are all, you know, biodynamically farmed. You have uh, just great integration of uh, naturally occurring or just like, you know, indigenous like herbs and and the, the there's, there's almost this herbs and plants and trees and, and figs and, and there's alive. bats flying around, yeah. there's cicadas I mean, you're in his fields and it's overwhelming it's it's loud, it's like almost chaotic and then you, you and and you look across the, the, the road to the conventional uh conventionally produced uh, grown vineyards and, and it's just inert and it's crazy and right yeah and that, so that that's where it really that's starts a great description yeah. mm-hmm. it's alive and uh, i remember driving along with jeff and his jeep and he was just like uh, he's an intense guy he's just like screaming at the at the vineyards like <laughs> like they were his like they were characters in his life you know and they are and on one he's like screaming at the conventional uh, uh, vineyards, and he's like, no life, no life. And then he's like, look look over at my fields, life. And, um, you know, that, that really stuck with me. And um, so I think that, um, yeah, uh, See, definitely. You answered the question with a story. So the, so th- and the story is a good representation of what natural wines are. Right. They're very much alive. Yeah. And they're farmed, and they're people that are passionate. Yeah. To sum up for you. Yeah. And I, I, that's not to say... 
that there are are not wines that are great that are you know if maybe there are pesticides in use or maybe they're not strictly following the lunar calendar and maybe there is sulfur that is used that's not to say that there are not wines that are not you know great right it's just that it doesn't have to be a hundred percent no it, yeah it, it's just more that the like that's you know there we, we can choose whatever however we whatever course we like to sort of take in our lives and our careers and like that's just sort of the the, the you know where my career crosses over in the Venn diagram with the wine world and those are the things that I really care about is is a lot of I I, I really uh, I I really like to to feel a very clear represent like a clear correspondence with the life cycle the 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 the, the experience of the of the grower and the grapes and a place and right, so so let's get specific mm-hmm. um, so let's you have to sit there and put a list together. It yep. changes. You know, you mm-hmm. built it during your time there. So let's get specific in the sense of things that you like, you've come across. So talk to me, and we can go any directions. Mm-hmm. Regions, producers, mm-hmm. types of wines, yeah. grapes that, you know, have caught your attention, yeah. that you've fallen in love with, stayed in love with. You know, what should we be drinking? Well, uh, for the, I think to preface that, for... A restaurant like Mission Chinese, right. um, th- th- there is no, there is no wine production culture in China. It, it's a buying culture for right. sure. Um, but in Southeast Asia as well, there you know it's it, so th- th- that's so you're th- not going regional, right? Right. Yeah. So so uh, and that for me when I was working on the, the list for the very first time was absolutely daunting because here I am working on a, a wine list trying to cobble this thing together out of you know you know teaching myself um and i have no you know there's no there's no culinary tradition that corresponds with uh, a wine culture that i can just like you know so i would google you know what you know szechuan uh, or chinese food like what wine pair well you know and it's like a pretty standard like you know riesling gewurz Gruner, right. Berliner, like you know those are those are excellent pairings but um i started to really I started to become very interested in places that were outside of like the sort of um, typical um, spicy Szechuan pairing like sort of cycle. Yeah. Um, I'm really crazy about uh, the uh, Jura. Uh, I really love those wines. They're just so electric. Um, I love some, I just really love a lot of the producers who are there. Um, Give me a couple of producers. So obviously Overnoy, Hard to um, get. Yeah, uh, Ganavat. Um, these are super hard to get. Uh, yeah. uh, Ganavat and Tissot you can get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Al- Alice Pouveau, Ganavat's you can get expensive. her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I really love... Um, yeah, those are those are a couple of my favorites. Um, there's some really great stuff in Alsace. Uh, Domaine Reach is really amazing. I love what Christian Binner is doing. But then... Um, what kind of grapes are they using in Alsace? Uh, it'll usually be a... a uh, Gewürztraminer, Sylvaner. Um, you're going to see some uh, reds, like uh, some Pinot Noir. You're going to see some Pinot Gris. Um, right. And, and really, um, I, I also have really been interested in um, American wines as well. Um, I think that there's some really cool stuff going on in Mendocino and in the Willamette Valley. Talk to um, me about some producers. Yeah, um, Mendocino. I, actually, the bottle I brought today was from Martha Stuman. She's right. She was uh, just in town, right? Yeah, she yeah. was here two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't get to meet up with her, but um, I really love what she's doing. Um, she's working with primarily uh, Italian varietals um, that are uh, planted Italian and French south south of uh, south of France varietals. Um, uh, I also really love what uh, Sam Bilbao is doing at Idlewild. Um, I love um, what Evan Lewandowski is doing. Right. He is sourcing his grapes from the same areas, but then he's, you know, uh, pressing them and then taking the fermenting 
uh, musk and packing it into uh, polythylene eggs and putting it in a U-Haul trailer and taking it back to Park <laughs> City, Utah. I just saw him yesterday. I'm like, man, you're a genius. That's funny. You're awesome. Yeah. Um, and then Willamette Valley, there's just, you know, I think that there's such a resonance with, um, you know, like that, that terroir resonates with so many other like really cool places like, you know, um, some of the Italian islands and um, uh, just the volcanic nature of the soil really feels a bit like Etna. Um, and yet In it's, Willamette Valley? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think that there's, that? Yeah, there's a, definitely a little bit of it, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but Italy's making some great... Yeah, you know, uh, I wines. yeah, I'm crazy about the Cantina Giordano wines. Uh, um, I'm really crazy about uh, what Frank Cornelis Cornelison yeah. does. Um, uh, Didn't you have somebody in the restaurant? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we we did a dinner recently with um, uh, Nico Shakatano from right. La Stopa. Um, I, I am cool. Label. I absolutely adore uh, the wines of. Uh, La Stopa, that being um, Giulia Armani as the winemaker, and then uh, um, Il- Ilana uh, Pantaleoni um, is the, uh, the the owner of the the estate. And then I also am really crazy about uh, Elisabetta Foradori. Um, Spell Foradori. F O R F O R A D O R I. Yeah, I'll post everything. Yeah, yeah, because our listeners kind of love to. Yeah, I'll, pull yeah, out I'll a, go off the show, <laughs> but I'll, I'll I'll list everything on our cool, social yeah. media. Um, anything really out of the box or new? I mean, anything crazy? Well, you know, the thing is, and to go back to this, uh, the the fact that uh, Chinese food spice right. does not have, you, you know, I I got to create a roadmap of my own, and instead of being sort of um, motivated by a by a cultural sort of uh, resonance between the wineless and the and the the food, um, it really is about an energy. And I really use the idea of uh, winemakers who are young at heart and who are sort of challenging themselves and who are, you know, using their intuition and who are maybe they're eighty years old, but like they, you know, like I think they, of Pierre yelling at the crops. Yeah, I think of Pierre Finals, who's you know yeah. he had a long, uh, a long, a career in the fashion world, and then he just he just called it, and he was cool. I don't know I think he was in his sixties, and he just decided to just take up winemaking, and he's making some of the most beautiful biodynamic uh, expressions in Burgundy that I, you know I. I've tasted in a long time. Really? Um, he's a Maison Belize. Is the B-E- B-E-L-L-E-S. And Belize. then another word, uh, another word, L-I-E-S. Are they yeah. somewhat accessible? Or Oh, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely post that. But, but definitely, um, the, 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 the cool thing about having like no parameters is that, the, you know, it actually, be, like I have a very clear... Like no parameters for your list, you mean? Right, like it. it you it don't is, have to be a French because exactly. it's a French it's, cuisine. It's, it's about um, you know, like generally uh, wines that have a good amount of acid, um, wines that are um, very sort of like have a, a bit of a lighter touch, yet have a lot to say at the same time, and right. that's tough, you know, because a lot of thinner skin grapes perhaps might not have the sort of like gravitas. Um, right. So pair with, uh, you know, uh, Mission Chinese wings, you know. Right. So it has to be um, tough for it's challenge. A, it's a very, it's a, it's a really tough uh, balance, yeah. But do you? Um, one of the things that comes up with natural wines, and you've been it around, you've been around it enough, is consistency and quality. Um, I guess, like anything, that'll vary. But I think natural wines gets a knock, you know, that it's the quality's not great. It's inconsistent from vintage to vintage, which it should be. I mean, is, is that an issue? Do you think of it that way? or? I think we're all very aware of that issue. And I feel as though the more that there is focus on the fruit and the farming of that fruit uh the more consistent the wine is and I, you know 
I definitely have no issues if I feel as though there's like, a, you know, like it's a wine is out of whack. Like I won't buy it. Right. Um, even if it's one of my favorite producers or, um, so every now and then a favorite producer. Can throw absolutely. Out a wine yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we, we you know, it, we, it's just about being honest with ourselves about right. it. And, um, I don't know. I'm not enough of an expert to weigh in and to say, well, if that producer that year would have, you know, sulfured their, right. their vineyard or added more sulfur at bottling, like things would have been any different. I, right. you know, like, where is that modicum? Like where, you know, where's that line? Um, I, I, I definitely like am anything just, else. I'm honest with the, 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 you know, the, if, if I, if I taste a, a bottle that's got, you know, mouse on it, I mean, I'm, probably if it's it's if it's if it's aggressive i'm I'm probably not going to buy it if it's just like right. a touch like i find that to be almost reassuring in a way if there's just like a just a slight amount of mouse on the finish or right. some uh touch of volatility at opening like i'm okay with that do you um do you feel it's harder to curate a smaller list because you have to really narrow it down than a larger list. I had Cedric Nikase. He's the wine director at Eleven Madison. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could buy whatever he wants. Sure. You know, so he says that's easy. He sort of said to me, "I don't want Sam Anderson's job." How do you? <laughs> how do you? You know, he didn't say Sam specifically, but he was definitely yeah. alluding, you know, to the type of list that you have to, you know, figure out. Does that frustrate you sometimes, or you could get everything on the page? I have about. 150 bottles more or less right now rotates um, yeah and the list changes a lot and you're not frustrated with the 150 that works i'm i'm good at that number right now um there's always things that i want to buy right. there's you know it's but i i know that for the so you know for the capacity of the dining experience at mission chinese which let's be real um, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night at nine o'clock, it is, I mean, it is freewheeling to say the least and borders on like, uh, I mean, it, it, it is a party. You had a good adjective early. It was like hazy. Hazy. <laughs> Friday at nine is hazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's a, a level of energy in that dining room that, um, you know, it is let's just, it's not a contemplative wine no, 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 no. drinking no. mood. But I'll tell you this much. And you went people, from that scene to more contemplative, <laughs> which is funny. But I'll tell you this much, and this is the wave. Uh, I feel as though young people are coming into Mission Chinese. They're coming into Hemlock. They're coming into Wild Air. They're coming into these places, and they're like, give me some cool wine. And I like, I want to know. And there is this like a turning of the, of the focus to... These places, and the more I like, I know who my clientele is, and if I put these things in front of them, I'm like, you got to check this out. Like, I, I mean, they tell ten of their friends, and, and they're, so they're listening to you. Yeah, too. and um, I think it's really about keeping it approachable on a price point for this new generation, this new wave. Because I see, I know, I'm very aware that the people who I'm teaching and training and tasting wine with in the restaurant are like, I'm kind of like the Lynette Marrero, the Jim Kearns 10 years ago, right. except I'm teaching kids You're, about wine. You'll have an impact. Exactly. So, you know, we're opening a new restaurant in Bushwick, um, and uh, that's my focus right there, yeah. You get to do other mm-hmm. things there. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the wine list, the little admission. Um, you said there's about 150 uh, different wines. Yep. Um, I guess the obvious question is there's got to be a bunch that are either Rieslings or whatever. Tell mm-hmm. me, you know, what it's made up of. Well, I organize my list from light to full, not in body, but in complexity. Um, whether that is uh, wines that are maybe like they're lower alcohol content, but they're like got a lot of skin contacts. Those are going to be to me like a more complex wine. And so I'll put that at the bottom of the list. Though it may be so, that's a good definition of complexity. Complexity, the alcohol may be low, but because of the skin contact, exactly, there's a complexity Mm -hmm. and a nuance to it. So, uh, and and then toward the you know the higher like the the lighter end, it's you know like like drinks like a glass of water, you know riesling sort of right. Like uh, uh, so, that's sort of I organize it that way, and the list is made up of so I have 
a, a, a section of the list dedicated to uh, champagne, pet nat, um, rosé. Uh, I have a, an entire the section. The sparkling de- game has been raised in the yeah. last, right? Yeah. And it's very compatible with that type mm-hmm. of food. Absolutely. Um, and then I have a skin contact section um, and and a red and a white. And uh, uh, like I said, there's no regional specificity to um, it's more a style. And right. I would say that because of the nature of the food, we definitely skew toward wines that are higher acid, I was lighter. just going to ask you, you're, you're driven by the mm-hmm. type of food, mm-hmm. not by your whims or what's cool. Yeah. It, it, it's what makes sense. All right, so then let's what let's ask the obvious question, mm-hmm. and you answered a little before, but you know, hit it harder for me here. What pairs best overall mm-hmm. with this cuisine? And with Danny, it's like psychedelic Sichuan. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. just it's very spicy Chinese with some very innovative ingredients yep. and recipes. So, I have really been um, skin contact. And explain to everyone what skin skin contact. Yeah. Uh, So essentially, I think of skin contact as sort of the inverse of rosé, in so far that um, it's a a uh, a white grapes are used and they are macerated on skins after they are crushed, sort of in the style. They keep them on the skin for longer. Exactly, and that's how you make a a red wine that's where the color comes from that's where the structure comes from orange wine exactly orange orange wine and skin contact are you know they're supposed to be synonymous i think orange is misleading but um and then uh you know like a rosé would be uh using red grapes and just not letting them sit on the skins for very long if not at all so um you know there's a long history of this style of wine dating back thousands of years but in the last 20 to 30 years it's really had a resurgence um, really coming from the uh, Friuli-Venezia region of uh, Italy and also um, parts of um, Slovenia, uh, Georgia. Yeah, and so that style of wine, uh, I like to really focus on it at Mission Chinese because, um, like I said, you you need wines that are refreshing and are cold, and that's usually great. We like to chill our reds across the board pretty much. But you also need to have this, uh, you need to have this backbone. These wines need to have this like real sort of like, you know, they need to be able to sit at that table with the wings and with the pastrami and like we serve food banquet style. And so, you know, you don't get to course things out. So you need to have wines that have acidity. They need to have, they need to be able to speak with a, a really strong voice. They need to be refreshing, and they need to be inherently weird too, right? Because the it's food in. is too. You can't it's have in, like yeah. yeah. But that said, um, I do also really love a great like fine herb riesling with the food. I really love like a nice green Gruner. Uh, um, those so are all Gruners, really Rieslings, great. Yeah, yeah. like Tra- kind of traditional. Or- yeah, and and it, you know they all have their their place, and usually that's something I parse out with a guest. Is are you looking for something funky? Are you looking for something right. clean and classic? Like, and sort of go from there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes total sense. All right, Sam. We're going to take a break. Um, when we come back, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about something that's near and dear to you, and that's running and the impact it's had on your life. Um, I want to subject you to our wine list, which is a bunch of questions about your wine preferences. Mm -hmm. And then uh, hopefully we could pop a bottle of uh, wine that you brought in. We could share it with Marissa and Gabriella um, and enjoy that. So we're talking to Sam Anderson from Mission Chinese. I'm sorry I didn't tell you earlier. Um, Sam is our guest today and we'll be right back you're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio no secret that I like being that person who always has some great wine on hand. When I know I've got a few bottles hanging around the kitchen, I feel like I'm ready for anything. 
If anything, it's just because I never know when friends will drop by unannounced or because it's even just a Monday. I also hate that last minute run to the store. Wine was never meant to be bought in a hurry. It's funny how we have so much patience growing the grapes, aging the wine, only to feel pressured when you're staring at the shelf. I use Vivino to scan and keep track of my favorites. But lately, I've been stocking up through their web store. They have the best prices and largest online wine inventory, but can also give you personalized recommendations based on bottles you've liked in the past. And I use their premium service for unlimited free shipping. That's an extra bottle's worth of savings on every order. Plus, they have a 30-day free trial. I just grab a few at a time and save them from when the right moment rolls around. You never know when that'll be. Visit Vivino.com backslash Grape Nation to stock up. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Sam Anderson. Sam is the beverage director at Mission Chinese in New York. Um, Danny Bowine's place. Is that the right way to pronounce Danny? Bowen. Bowen. Mm -hmm. Danny came to New York years ago and took the uh, sort of Asian, spicy, Chinese um, food category by storm, and he's still hitting it pretty hard. And we've been talking to Sam about, you know, what he's doing there and wines that pair. Um, So, Sam, Sam's a cover boy. (laughs) Guys, did you know that? Sam was on the cover of the May Runner's World. That was last month, right? Yeah. So Sam has kind of a life-changing story. You know, it's nice when you talk about wine and the nightlife and the Mm -hmm. hazy environment, you know, at a mission, Mm -hmm. you know, how somebody was changed by something. So you talked about it earlier quickly, but, you know, now we'll kind of get into it deeper, um, how you got involved with running, Mm -hmm. why, and, Mm -hmm. you know, how did it change everything? And from what I see, you know, because I've been following you on Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, doing a little research for this show, you're kind of obsessed. I'm obsessed. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me how all this happened. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I started running about five years ago i was always pretty athletic when i was a kid but you know i spent you know 12 years partying very hard uh but that's part of the why i mean why you started running yeah yeah. talk about you know you were smoker you said yeah i would smoke like i mean i was a chain smoker essentially um i probably drank i don't know when i was bartending you know it was not uncommon to have like 10 to 12 drinks a day Drink of preference or different stuff? Tequila, beer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was a rock and roll musician. Okay. I was working in Williamsburg. Like, it was just the whole thing. You were, you were, you were I was living that life. Yeah. 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 I was in it. Um, I started running about four and a half years ago and it really. Did one thing or somebody like, you know, influence you? Well, it was a combination of what really like wanting to just change my life and um, I had. I had uh, a breakup that was really rough and I knew that I, I just hit like a, a sort of like a, a a breaking point, I think, and needed to, I just knew that I needed to like, it was going to go one way or the other. So I started a, a physical practice. I, I quit smoking, uh, which was a really long process for me. I Cold turkey? Uh, ultimately, yes, but it was in conjunction with, uh, starting to run, but, um, I tried everything. I tried hypnosis. I tried the patch. I tried the gum. I tried (laughs) Chantix. I tried, you know, everything. And really the thing that actually worked was replacing the thrill that I got from getting, you know, having like a fix, a a nicotine fix from replacing that with, um, you know, something that was more powerful and longer lasting, which was, you know, like a sense of, you know, deep satisfaction with oneself and one's body. And, um, just like the, the sort of spiritual, uh, practice of that every day, um, really started to sink in. And I, I, I ran, uh, I, I, I woke up one day and I was like, I would, I want to run the New York city marathon. And I think this was like September, uh, just to like, kick myself in the ass and like you know get it going in a month before uh no so it would have been uh the the next year Oh, okay yeah so i looked up how to do that and basically the new york roadrunners association has 
this nine plus one program. And literally the, the first race was a 10 miler in the Bronx in like three days, like the last nine races of the year. And I, I did, I ran it and then I ran the next eight. And then so if you committed to the Roadrunners, those nine races, then you and qualify. the one was mm-hmm. you volunteer yep, for yep. something, that automatically gets you into... Exactly. And I was battling heartbreak. I was battling alcoholism at this time. But it was like the thing that like really got me through it. And I... You were a mess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I remember I was actually... The very last thing I had to do to fulfill... To get it to qualify for the marathon was my volunteer... Uh, event and that was actually the very last race of the year in Central Park on New Year's Eve. And you had to I, be there. Oh yeah, I had to be there. It was brutally cold, um, and I had to ba- basically check bags in at midnight. And I was I was not partying with my friends. I was going to say you were mildly or peripherally in the party mode at that point. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I remember just going to the. I remember going to the. Like they started the race and I was like doing the bag check and um, I went up to the porta potty and I'm standing in the porta potty taking a leak and I hear the countdown for the new year. In a porta potty. And I'm potty. literally in a porta potty taking it's a leak romantic. all alone. <laughs> no, it's very romantic. It, it was life changing. I'll never forget that. Yeah. And so I ran my first marathon that following year. Um, I ran it in three hours and five minutes. I just uh, PR'd this past. Uh, month in uh, it means personal record, but I've been training. I tra- I run about eighty to ninety miles a week um, during a training cycle. Um, I ran the, my most recent marathon in two hours and fifty four minutes, which I'm thirty six years old. I'm pretty happy with that time. Yeah, so um, you were in Oregon, and weren't yeah, you yeah. in Mexico? I, I did some training in Mexico. Yeah, right. Um, it was kind of on vacation, but um, I will be running the Berlin Marathon um, in the fall. Uh, possibly New York as well. Tell everyone why you may not be running New York. Why? I don't know. Didn't you forget to put the application in? Oh, <laughs> I would probably be doing that to raise money for a charity, right. uh, of, of which I'm not sure which, which one that would be yet. But yeah. So you're running, what'd you say, 70, 80 miles a week? So that yeah, takes 80 up to, a big chunk of your, you know, that's a discipline. That takes mm-hmm. you away from a lot of the distractions and all that right? yeah i i generally um during the week i don't drink at all uh monday through friday i really focus on my training um it's usually about two hours every morning of like you know the whole process of of you know what, what you know it's it's average about 12 to four, you know 13 miles a day where do you run morning. um I, I do a lot of my training in prospect park i do i like to run over the bridges um just depends how long the race, the, right. the, 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 the training is, uh, I train with a team, uh, called black roses NYC. Um, we do a lot of training like in the track sometimes, you know, it just kind of depends, but does anybody in black rose that runs not have a tattoo? I, that's a good question. All right. It's, I'll, I'll join next week. Yeah. I'll be the outlier. <laughs> okay. I don't have one yet. Um, what, uh, don't you get a sense? I think you've talked about this, and it's one of the cool things. You you literally there's this euphoria after running. I mean, there's a physical, emotional, mental thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an important part of it all, isn't it? Yeah, that comes and goes. Um, you know, some days are, are really hard. Some days are euphoric, and yet it's not about those. You know, no feeling is final. And it's not about chasing those sort of like intervals. It's about the larger um, state of of um, of uh, contentedness that right. I get from the practice. Um, it is an athletic endeavor, but for me, it it really is a practice that has great impact on how I relate to other people um it, like I, I find that running brings me a lot of joy from deep inside and i can't fake that and um it, it really is going through the body in order to uh really kind of have like a a, a, a harmonious relationship with one's 
self and like have an inner life. So it's, um, it, it affects my, per- my, my, my work life too. You know, like I'm everything in a good way. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm a little tired. Uh, you know, I'll have to run after doing, or I'll have to work after doing like a 20 miler or something that's, you know, hanging, hanging by a thread by the end. But you know, what's that race in the restaurant biz at midnight? It's kind of a cool thing you've participated in. Oh, you know, it's called the Midnight Half Marathon. Right. It's not a restaurant thing. It's, it's more, not an industry thing. It's, no, no, it's, it's a my city friend, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's my friend Joe Denoto. He's a very, very good friend of mine. He uh, he does these uh, races that are kind of like they very much centered around the Lower East Side. They go over bridges. They're unsanctioned. They're very wild. Um, Pretty good they, crowd, though. Yeah. Nice. Um, a lot of people who are sort of like uh, maybe a little bit more on the margins, like, you know, right. yeah. Like you were before you started. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, big commitment time-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big commitment physically, mm-hmm. you know, toll and all that. You got to stay, you know, on the game. Is this something you see not stopping? I mean, can you tire from this? Do you want to take a break or what do you think? I, I it's hard to say. I see this as a lifelong practice. That right. I, I, I see old dudes running on the East River with white hair and, and you know the long droopy mustache and the sweat pant, sweat shorts. And I'm like, well, that's, that's me. me in 30 years. Nice. That's, <laughs> um, that's what I was hoping it, to hear. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a it's it's not a short sort of sighted thing for me you know if i were to have some major health issues well yeah there's potential distractions but but i mean you're committed to it it's it's a lifestyle yeah i i I actually don't quite feel like myself on the days that i don't run um so that proves it all yeah all right so i want to move on to our wine list um i got a bunch of questions um that i want to ask you and even though you run 70, 80 miles a week. I don't know where the hell or who you're running from, but whatever. <laughs> um, the wine list is a bunch of questions. We ask all our guests just to get a sense, you know, your preferences. You're around this. You know, people are interested in what you're doing. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? A lot of times it's seasonal. It's what you're tasting for the restaurant. Somebody turned you on. Is there something that you're drinking almost singularly now? Nothing singular. Um I'm really stoked on these wines coming out of um, Adelaide Hills, Australia. Um, uh, what? Yoma is is a uh, probably one of the producers that I'm really digging. James Erskine is Y O M A. J A U M A. Yeah, I was close. Mm-hmm. His uh, wines feel like you know it's a cooler climate there's less extraction on the red kind of grapes we talking about chenin blanc primarily and um shiraz for the reds yeah and he does some Simeon as well just some really cool blends they feel like if you're it's like almost like loire valley kind of cross with like just a touch of like uh like central coast california almost cool um they're, they're they're it's like a sunny loire um, I really love some of his, uh, I really love his Chenin Blancs. Um, I think they have this really gorgeous touch. Um, I, yeah, I've been really, like I said, I've been really getting into Italian stuff. Um, my, my, I was really sort of centered around Loire Valley as like the, the first place that I really gravitated to, with, you know, just like the untold, uh, numbers of amazing producers. And, um, I, always come back to the Loire um, and now I'm sort it's of a favorite. Like branching out the to um, you know some of these um, uh, Italian producers who are really interesting to me give me um, one or two uh, again Elizabeth Elisabetta Foradori is Foradori one Foradori again um, okay. I really love uh, like I said uh, Cantina Giordino Giordino um, I really love sort of what they're doing with indigenous grapes there, like Fiano and Neat. Volpe de Rosso. Um, and again, uh, Willamette Valley is is always on my mind. I, I just give me uh, your top of the list on that. Um, you had to buy one wine tomorrow, or a couple. Mm. Not your traditional Pinot Noirs. We're not talking. Well, about. there there is a lot of Pinot Noir there, um, but I I like sort of some of the Italian stuff, some of the Italian varietals that are being worked with there. For instance, um, 
I really love what Holden is doing. Um, uh, he's got this Malvasia skin contact Malvasia that's really stunning. Uh, he also does this beautiful Dolcetto. Nice. Um, and these are, you know, yeah, you know, unusual, from unusual that area. from that area. Yeah, uh, um, and I'll, I love bow and arrow. I love what uh, Scott Frank does. Yeah. with you know, he he's very much like I. He and I are, you know, very much like similar perspective. He's like a Loire dude, and uh, right, he, you know, he's basically like doing like Loire via. Willamette, which I think is super cool. I just hosted him for a uh, like a glass pour takeover event uh, two weeks ago, and nice. it was really dope uh, hanging out with him. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll post that. Um, next question. Faye, you have a favorite wine and food pairing? I know it's a goofy question, but I'm always curious. I'm going to just, I'm going to hold it down with the, the skin contact and Szechuan spice. Okay, stay, uh, stay in home on this yeah. one. I'm all um, right with that. Uh, I, I I think it's really ph- a phenomenal pairing, and it is uh, it, it really keeps me intrigued. Um, you know. right, give me one, uh, give me one specific choice. Okay, uh, I really love Ariana Ocapinti's Sibibo. Um, uh, she was in town for the uh, portfolio tasting. Yes, I think it was. Uh, pa- Palan or something. Uh, she's Poliner. with uh, uh, David Bowler. Bowler, it yeah. was Bowler, right? Okay. Um, so I, I really love that wine, SP sixty eight. Uh, it's just really floral. Um, it's got this like kind of perceived candied, like jasminey sort of note, but then it's just like nice and dry and like and it's got available. some structure. It is available. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. That's and, a good uh, one. That with like I don't know any of our spicy dishes is gonna really. All right, cool. so that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've backed away from this through the years because mm-hmm. of your lifestyle, but do you have favorite wine restaurants and our bars, places, you know, that the list, the vibe, mm-hmm. you know, the knowledge, the service, what's good? And you, we're not incriminating anyone by leaving <laughs> people on or off the list. What's yeah, good? Yeah, I'm a casual dude. Um, you know, I, I want to be able to, like, feel like I can roll up and... And what I'm wearing, and and so where you know. is that? Uh, I love ops in ops? in Bushwick. I love ops. I love Meta in uh, Fort Greene. Yeah, I love that wine list. I love the food great there. food too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Negro's fire. food is just amazing. And uh, um, Henry and Chris have done a great job yeah. with that wine. Henry list. was on the show about a year. Um, ago. I love. I, I will always love Hotel Del Mano. I think Alex Allen is um, just a genius and just like such a sweet, kind mentor for me uh anytime i have a like a really dumb question he never makes me feel stupid um and he's just got such a he's just been like hotel del mano has had one of the most brilliant under sung wine lists in the whole city under is a good word i think it's underappreciated people don't talk about it more it's there you know doing it as well as anyone yeah, um, you know, I mean his his list is absolutely extraordinary. Do um, you have a favorite all time wine? Is there a wine that just resonated at some point that you put it on your fave list? Well, I think that that's always situational. Uh, okay. it, it, it's really not about the. I mean, yes, there is. For it, it, some people, there are wines that are better than others. But for me, uh, I would say that. <laughs> Uh, after after running my PR in Portland, or I'm sorry, in, in Eugene, uh, having a bottle of Agripart Seven Cruz afterward in the bathtub might have been okay. So that a moment, Agripart Seven Cruz, yeah, incredible uh, you know, champagne, that's, great that's some, environment, that's accomplishment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it's definitely, but that's a good choice anyway. But <laughs> circumstantially, it's yeah, it, it definitely added a layer in there. That's a good answer. But I could there. also have that bottle. I th- it would be sublime if I was on the A train headed out to Broadway Junction, but I don't know if that experience would, you know, if I was drinking it out of a bag, I don't know if that experience would no. be quite the same. Totally get it. So, yeah. All right, we have one more question, and we got to get done in about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I want to just taste the wine and get your take on it and have you tell everybody what you brought. Last question. Um, and I always like to ask people in the business, best wine retail around 15 bucks 
my kids are in their 20s. Yep. They want to bring good wines. They don't want to spend a ton, but they don't want to look like dopes and bring, you know. So red and white. You can go category. You can go maker. You can go region. Like, for instance, Muscadet, Loire, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Give me your white. Give me your red. I'm going to say for red, I'm I'm going to go OG on this one because this was really the first wine that, like, I remember tasting at Hotel Del Mono. Alex Allen poured it for me. And um, it's uh, Christian Vignier. Spell uh, Vignier for me. V-E-N-I-E-R. Vignier. Okay. Uh, these bottles, you can probably get it for 15 bucks or so wholesale. I, I don't know. Case drop. I'd have to look at that. But it's in that neighborhood. Okay. Pinot Noir Gamay blend. Um, just nice. Beautiful summer fruit and black tea, and just so satisfying. I always come uh, find myself coming back to that wine. It really was maybe the first wine that I drank back in my, you know, like eight nine years ago, and was just like stopped in my tracks for five seconds. But uh, I I pour that by the glass at Mission Chinese now, just as an homage to that. Um, just like the beauty of that wine and how much, what a great value it is on the white side. Um, I really love, um, uh, I, I think that Weiser Kunstler is making absolutely beautiful organic, uh, Riesling. Um, they're in the Mosul in the, uh, on the lower price. Yeah. Yep. So you know, probably, f- yeah, under like $15 a perfect. bottle. Uh, that's wholesale. Um, right, so it's going to be a few bucks more, but it's in yeah. that lower mm-hmm. quality. Yeah, for... it's like just honeysuckle, like lots of acidity, very light on its feet, but it has this like, like just haunting smokiness to it that's really amazing. I'll definitely too. post that. Mm-hmm. All right, those are good choices. Um, we're going to wrap up. We only have a few minutes. I usually bring wine in. You offered to bring in wine. Mm-hmm. You brought in an interesting wine. Just give me a uh, quick background on it. You said it was a Martha Stauman. Yeah, Martha Stuman. Uh, she is definitely a favorite winemaker of mine. Um, she's definitely one of these like young uh, female producers who is really, to me, very important to have like on my list just... Um, I think she makes really beautiful wine, um, and she's she, – it, it's very energetic wine. It, 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 it's very young, youthful at heart. It, so uh, specifically, we're drinking – Yeah, so this is uh, – the, the cuvee is called Post Flirtation. It's the white. <laughs> nice name. Yeah, uh, so it's a blend of three, three grapes, um, uh, Marsan, Roussan, and Muscat Blanc, um, and it's – very sort of quaffable and yeah. summery and interesting. Some, yeah, it's it's. Is um, this low, uh, not low acidity, low alcohol? Yeah, the, lower we would, alcohol. We would say this is glue glue style. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, yeah, very you know, great for the 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 weather heating up, and it's got quite a bit of density on the nose, and then it's just real refreshing and crisp on the on the palate, and I I really like that. Do you sell this by the bottle? I sell this by the bottle. Mm-hmm. How much? Ballpark. No. 60. 60. Mm-hmm. So when you think about retail, if it's available, you know, it's mm-hmm. half or something like that. So it's a it's a good uh, yeah. price point and all mm-hmm. of that. So that's the Martha Stoneman post-flirtation. Yeah, white, the white. She has right. a red, too. So by the so let's just do the quick, uh, the quick uh, vitals. Color. Kind of a unfiltered golden yellow, right? Mm-hmm. Straw colored. Straw. Mm-hmm. Let's go nose. What do you get? It's an interesting nose. I suck at this, but what are the two or three descriptors? Uh, I I get quite a bit of like lemon curd. Yeah, um, not lemon, like a creamy lemon. Uh, I get quite a bit of like like grassy like lemon grassy notes underneath that, and um, some honeysuckle See? maybe. Yep. Um, Let's go mouthfeel. It's got a very interesting kind of waxy texture. Yeah. That I think is very cool. Nice um, mouthfeel with mm-hmm. that little And that's wax really coat. coming from the Marsan. Um, that kind of like, it really coats your palate. It's got some great acidity on the finish. Really like keeps you coming back for the next sip. Yep. Um, Let's go uh, taste descriptors. What are you getting <laughs> on the palate? Uh, let's see. Let's go back in there. Why are you laughing? Uh, 
Don't overthink it. So yeah, uh, like there's this sort of like raw honey thing going on. Yeah, there's. Um, I was almost thinking a little beeswax mm, or something. Beeswax, that texture. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there's a bit of like uh, almost like oxidized apple. Um, mm. Yeah, a bit of like uh, Asian pear sort of vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. It's a mm. it's a delicious wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the uh, Martha Stoneman post flirtation. I thank you for bringing that in. That was a treat. Um, you should have a wing with it. I will after the show. <laughs> I don't want to eat You're on gonna the You're going to taste air. an entirely different glass of wine I, I don't if you have eat a, uh, a Mission Chinese wing. I don't want to get uh, <laughs> chicken sauce on my wine glass. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. That's where I'll post Sam's uh, wine list answers. I'll post his recommendations. I'll post the wine we drank, the Martha Stoneman. Um, also follow us um, on Instagram at SBenRuby. And now you can follow hashtags. So please follow the hashtag the Grape Nation. And on Twitter, reach us at Ben Ruby. Sam, where can we find two things? Where can we find Mission Chinese? Where can we follow Sam Anderson and his running adventures? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mission Chinese is in the Lower East Side at 171 East Broadway. We have a new location opening this summer. About uh, when? Mm, July, August, mm, September? Go conservative here. Let's say... <laughs> let's say July. Okay. So August first, um, yeah, off the off the Jefferson stop, and you can follow me at Sam uh, on Instagram primarily, um, Sam, the number four, N D E R S O N. Four is like almost like an A. Yeah, exactly. So it's Sam for four Anderson or whatever. Sam Anderson, but the A right. is a is a is a number four. And when Mission Brooklyn opens, you're going to be doing a lot of FaceTime there. You think? I will be at both restaurants. Yeah, okay. I, I have. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, I want to thank our guest, Sam Anderson. Sam is the beverage director at Mission Chinese in New York City, Lower East Side, and soon to be in our hood, mm-hmm. Bushwick. I want to thank our engineer. We got lucky today. We got Dave out there. And I want to thank everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. <coughs> For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.